0: Had to make sure it was safe to cross the street before heading up here. Uh, good morning again. So, you know, when since it's baby dedication, there's babies everywhere. It's just on the mind, right? You've you, you got to go to these regular checkups with the pediatrician when you have a baby. And they measure the head, and they measure the height, and they measure the weight, and They've got all these markers that they're checking to see, okay, are they developing the right way? Are they, do they have enough to eat? Are they, are they, is their weight gaining the right way? Are they growing the right way? And, and if one of these markers get off, they, you know, they kind of stop and they check a little deeper. And if one of these markers gets way off, it, it kind of goes into emergency mode and they really start trying to find the cause and work to the solutions. And if they get way, way off, just it intensifies. And I just thought, man, it's, it's a shame that we don't have more intentional markers in our lives and in the people we go to churches with lives to see are we developing at age-appropriate ways? Are we developing in a way that's intentional enough? Are we developing enough that that if we see one of these markers getting off, we go and we see what's on, we we we. Probe deeper to see what's going on. And if one of these markers gets way off, it causes a little bit of a stir in the community that's tight and around this person. And if they get way, way off, the intensive care is given. And we've got to find, if it's radical surgery, if it's, what do we need to do? Because maturity is something that should be the process that every single believer goes through, not just those who kind of want that next level of spirituality, not just those who who are more into this kind of thing. Every single believer should be following this track of maturity. And so do we have those marks, and are we running into the need when we see maturity stalling out, when we see markers that aren't healthy as far as the progress someone is making? That's what we're gonna be looking at in Hebrews chapter six, verses one through eight. Again, the theme of Hebrews, Jesus is better, so don't turn back, right? Hold fast and press on to maturity. Jesus is better. Hold fast to Jesus and press on to maturity in Jesus. We've entered this section in the book of Hebrews that is all about Jesus as the high priest, the high priest who became flesh, God who became flesh and identified us with us, the high priest who died as the propitiation for our sin, the high priest that made the way for us to connect to God, the high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses, the high priest that, that was tempted the way we're tempted, yet without sin, and opens up the throne of grace, opens up the presence of God to us. When as he was going through that, he pulled out, the last time we were together and this time, he pulled out to give an exhortation to to the to his audience. Right? He, he noticed some concerning signs from all of this teaching. He noticed some concerning signs within the congregation that possibly they were drifting back towards immaturity or had stalled out on some of those maturity markers and so he pulled out before he went more in depth in this high priestly conversation that we're going to go into in the in the coming weeks he pulled out of that to make sure to press on them this idea of immaturity and maturity and so the last time we were together at the end of chapter five immaturity there were some signs in his audience that they had become dull of hearing Meaning they used to have this active, intentional listening to this word. They used to have an excitement about the word. They used to hear the word and it affected them in some way inside of themselves. They used to hear the word and as it moved inside of them, it actually came out of them in application. And he had noticed some signs that their ears were becoming desensitized and it didn't move them the way it used to move them. It didn't excite them the way it used to excite them. And it wasn't coming out in their lives the way it used to come out in their lives. And so he stops To point that out, immaturity is dull of hearing. Immaturity is you've been doing the Jesus thing long enough that you should be investing in people, but you've fallen and reverted back to a place where you've got to have people come take you by the hand and bottle feed you. And the other mark of immaturity is you're milk drinkers when you should be eating meat. You're milk drinkers. You can't handle solid food yet, which he took to mean not that you don't know enough stuff about Jesus, not that you don't know enough theology, You're milk drinkers because you are unskilled. That is, you are not experienced in living out the word of righteousness. So there's this word that we should know that should lead to a word that we do, but you aren't putting into practice the word that you know, so you're immature. But he wants maturity and he believes maturity for them and he has better hopes for them than that. And so maturity are people who've turned around and started investing in other people. They're not just people that know stuff. They're not just people that have gotten their lives kinda decently walking with Jesus. They're people who've gone back to invest in other people. They're people whose ears are still open and alert to the word of God. They're people who have taken solid food. Not because they know great and high theology, though they do because we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But they're people who have not just grown their knowledge of Jesus. They've become people who, trained by continual practice, know what is good and do what is good, and they know what is evil, so they avoid what is evil. That's the marks of the mature. Well, that's the background, as you'll see in the beginning of chapter 6, begins with therefore. That is the background information for the exhortation, for the command, for the the thing that he's going to press on the church today. And he's gonna press on, he's gonna gonna push into the life of the congregation, move with God, go forward with God, press on with God towards maturity. That's gonna be the central command, that's gonna be the central idea of all of the text. And so one important note before I read is end of chapter five and chapter six, The author is deeply concerned with their sanctification, their moving forward in Jesus to become more like Jesus, to mature in Jesus. He's concerned with that stuff. He's not concerned with their salvation. And that's an important interpretive key, because we're gonna get into kind of the deep end here in the second part of the message. But what's firmly in place is he wants to press on their growth. He is not dealing with primarily their salvation. So let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God and of instructions about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible Receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Let's pray. So Father, I pray this word would fall on good soil today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be cultivating in our heart excited hearing, active hearing, movement with our hearing. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be taking these truths and pressing the corners of our heart to believe them, to be moved by them. God, we wouldn't be okay with walking around in immaturity. We wouldn't be okay with coasting with Jesus. We wouldn't be okay knowing stuff because we hear stuff. We'd only be okay when you're an intimate, abiding part of our lives. We'd only be okay when you're coming out in the daily stuff we do and say. God, move on us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So partner with God to continue towards maturity. Partner with God to continue towards maturity. The first step in this process, continually build on the foundational truths of the gospel, continually build on the foundational truths of the gospel. I wanna give you three pictures. And so driving to our house from here, there is a house that, I believe it was a fire, there was a house that years and years ago had a fire, and it, it, was this, it became this burnt-out shell. And for several years, it's a burnt-out shell. No, no movement, nothing happened. Swimming pool in the backyard became what swimming pools come when they don't get messed with very much, and, you know, who knows what's growing inside of it. And then a couple of years back... They come and they scrape it off and they take all the debris off and now there's just the foundation and it's a clean foundation and it's a, it's a good foundation but it's just a foundation and for two years there's been this foundation. Picture number one. Picture number two. Uh, I don't know why they all have to do with fire but behind our house, our back door neighbors had a fire a couple of years ago, about the same time frame. Uh, a couple of years ago they had this fire and nothing happened for the longest time. Right? They boarded it up and nothing happened. And then, I don't know, a couple of months back, you start to see these workers kind of creep in and out. And not very many and not very often, but they go in and they come out and you know they're doing stuff. And, and, and then all of a sudden you look back there and, wait, there's a new roof on the thing. Where'd that happen? Poof. And then you know you go by there a, a couple of weeks ago and went by there and all of a sudden there's brick masons and they're laying bricks. And it's like, poof, stuff is happening. Now it's happening very imperceptibly. And it's happening very slowly, I don't know why, but for some reason, their restoration of their house is a very slow process, but it's a process that keeps going, incrementally, unperceptible, but moving back to its original condition. Picture number two. Picture number three, about the same time frame a couple of years ago, this pretty little sign gets put out on my way to school to take the kids to school. Magnolia Farms is coming. Magnolia Farms has a pretty little sign, and Magnolia Farms has a little kind of a U-shaped street, and that's about all there is to it. And within the same two-year period-ish, there's like two dozen homes. A whole neighborhood has been built. And so as we think about it, if our spiritual lives, if we were thinking about them in these pictures, which one would best represent our spiritual lives? We have the most amazing foundation that you can possibly imagine. Jesus, God the Son, became human flesh and lived among us. He died on a cross for our sins, and God raised him up from the dead. It is the most amazing foundation you can think of. 100% the finished work of Jesus, 0% my work saves me and forgives me and adopts me. There could not be a more amazing foundation to build your life and build your eternity on. But have I decided to let it be this clean, white, you know, occasionally debris goes across of it, this clean, white foundation, and I just kind of look at the foundation day after day, year after year, nothing ever goes back on top of it. Or, like, here's what the normal Christian life looks like. Imperceptibly, workers go in and out. Imperceptibly, little movement happens. Imperceptibly, the house gets rebuilt. Imperceptibly, all of a sudden, these big things happen in our spiritual lives, and growth happens, and just like that house behind us, you don't always see the work, but work's happening. Growth is happening. Something's being built. Or, with the same gospel foundation, are we seeing God build us to maturity? And then are we going back and sharing the gospel so new foundations are built like this new neighborhood? Are we going out and investing our lives in others, this thing called discipleship, so their houses are getting built just like our house is getting built in the same process? There's this foundation that we all build on. And God's done everything to give us the foundation. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us all the resources to build on this foundation. He's done everything necessary for this beautiful, glorious house to be built slowly over a lifetime And then to go help others build their houses slowly over a lifetime. But which of those foundations, which of those pictures is what you're doing with the materials of the Spirit and the Word and the community that you're a part of? Which of those pictures is you? As we look in the text today, the challenge is don't stay at the foundation level partner with God to build something beautiful build a beautiful gospel house on top of this beautiful gospel foundation let's look at it as we jump into the text he, he starts with the word therefore which means he's linking it back to the passage that came before and so i think this does two things for what he's trying to accomplish first what he's trying to I believe what he's doing is he's going and saying look I believe you are not infants, but you're going to go to this solid food and maturity stage. I believe you're going to respond to these truths. I believe you're at this place where you're going to tip back into the following of Jesus and not fall back into maturity. I believe in you. And he even says that in verse 9. I think the second thing that he's doing uh, with this, therefore, with this section, is he's keeping this, this conversation grounded in the idea of sanctification, growth from immaturity to maturity, he is not going back to a conversation about salvation. I think that's what he's up to. That's what he's saying, therefore, is he's taking everything we're about to study today and bringing it back to maturity and immaturity. That's going to be important as we get to the next point. So therefore, and then he says, leaving behind, press on, not laying again the foundation. Right, So the main verb, if you care about these things, is press on to maturity. The supporting words are leave behind so that you can move forward and not laying again. Like, don't stay on the foundational level. Now, the, the first one's kind of a challenging word, not that it keeps you up at night, but it's kind of a challenging word because he's like, leave behind the elementary principles of Christ. But if you've been at this church very long, you know we don't ever leave behind the the, the elementary things of Christ. We don't leave the gospel behind. We don't don't promote ourselves and grow to a place where the gospel is not important because we've got good theology that we really need to get to. We've got to go to the deep stuff. Let's leave this baby stuff of the gospel alone. So what does he mean when he says leave behind the elementary principles about Christ? Because it's like everything flows out of the elementary principles about Christ. Here's a stab at it. When he says leave behind the elementary principles of Christ, the literal word there is leave behind the first word about Christ. Leave behind the first word about Christ. Well, what is the first word about Christ to the author of Hebrews? The first word about Christ was the Old Testament word where Jesus was pictured. Where Jesus was pictured by the priesthood and became a better priesthood. He was pictured by the sacrifices and became the better sacrifice. He was pictured by the festivals and he became the better festival. He was pictured by the rest and he became the better rest. And so when he says leave behind the first word about Christ, very possibly what he's saying is leave behind the incomplete Old Testament picture of Jesus to grab hold of the fullness of the New Testament revelation of Jesus, the New Testament sacrifice of Jesus. So leave behind this incomplete thing that you might want to go back to as Jewish believers and go on to the fullness of who Jesus Christ is that has now been revealed in the living and dying and rising of Jesus Christ. So leave behind that first word. Go into the full word. And the other supporting word is... Not laying again the foundation. He's going to go in through some basic gospel doctrine. These foundational truths, not that you're going to leave behind. If you read the New Testament, repentance is in every letter. If you read the New Testament, faith in Jesus is in every letter. If you read read the New Testament, uh, you'll find baptism scattered throughout it. You'll find judgment all the way through it. You'll find resurrection all the way through it. So clearly the New Testament isn't like, Don't go back to that basic stuff because it continually goes back to those things. The New Testament is much more concerned with explore all the facets of repentance, all the facets of faith so that this foundational thing is built into this beautiful gospel house. And so don't keep laying a foundation. Don't go over and over and over again these foundational things. Grow your appreciation for these gospel truths. Grow your application of these gospel truths. Don't leave them behind Go deeper and more fully into them. And so if I were to simplify what these words are building up to, I would just simply say it this way. Grow in your appreciation of and application of. Grow in your appreciation of and application of the gospel, which is what we call maturity. Don't stay with the ABCs of the Christian lifestyle. right, so grow in your appreciation and application of the gospel, which then leads to, the main idea of the whole passage. Go on to maturity. We have made it far too easy to stay immature as Christians. We've made it far too easy for church members to be perpetual children, perpetual bottle feeders. We've made it far too easy for the people in our Sunday school classes to kind of stay inconsistent, stay immature, not go forward with Christ, just be happy if they show up once in a while. But that's not the standard of Christianity. That's not the richness and the fullness of following Jesus. That's not everything that they're meant to experience by having a saving faith with, with Jesus Christ. It's not okay to stay immature. We shouldn't be okay to let each other stay immature press on to maturity now why is my main point partner with God to maturity though partner with God so just again a little bit of the details we dig in not everybody enjoys the stuff as much but when it says press on to maturity that word is in what's called the passive tense which means this word is somebody is doing something to us and we are passive as opposed to active we are doing something and so when it says, press on to maturity, it is not saying, go do maturity. What it is saying is, be carried forward into maturity. And so you could translate it, let us be carried forward to maturity. Well, who carries us forward to maturity? Who is it that begun a good work in us that is faithful to complete it in Christ until the day of Christ Jesus? God is. And so God, let God carry you forward to maturity, but since it's a command, and then you got to do something, right? you got to be part of this. It's the, it's the same way that, um, like when it says in Ephesians, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That is also in the passive tense. Allow yourself to be filled with the Spirit. God's going to do the filling, but since it's a command, you've got to be part of it. And so when he says be carried forward to maturity, I think what he's challenging you to and what he's challenging me to, what he's challenging the Hebrew audience to, remain receptive and responsive to God's work of maturity in your life. Remain receptive and responsive to God's work of maturity in your life, right? And so allow God's work, receive God's work, respond to God's work. Instead of like, you know, you pick up your kid in Walmart pitching a fit and they go limp and they drag their feet and they kick, that's a great picture of how some of us are doing the Christian life. God's moving us in a direction and we're like everything in us. Can I just go limp, dead body so that he has to drag me every inch of the way? Or am I like, grabbing him by the hand and let's go, right? Probably some of my problem and sometimes it might be some of your problems as well is I want to run way ahead of where God is. Let's go. And I make a mess, right? But the word is just using, like, don't stick your feet in the sand and drag them as God moves you to maturity. Receive God's prompting and work and movement and community and word and spirit and prayer. Receive that and then have this tender, responsive heart that wants to hear and then wants to do something with what you hear. Be carried forward to maturity. Cooperate. Partner with God. Right? And this is, this is what Paul says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that makes it sound like you do all the work until you read the next verse. It is God who works in you to will and work according to his good pleasure. And that's the same concept that's that's here. God will carry you forward to maturity. Will you run with God in that process or will you resist God in that process? Press on to maturity, not laying again this foundation of dead works. And so the greatest concern in the author of Hebrews' mind is that the hardship that they're facing and they faced a lot of it. That the drift that they're facing because they've been doing it so long, his greatest concern is that's going to cause him to revert backwards towards immaturity. For us today, what I've already said, greatest concern I have is that it's just too comfortable to be immature. It's too comfortable to let somebody else do the studying and then... Teach me. It's too comfortable to sit in a Sunday school class if I feel like getting up that early and let a teacher teach me. It's just too comfortable for somebody else to prepare the lesson, somebody else to lead the micro group, somebody else to pursue that person who hasn't been in a while, somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. And somebody will do it, I hope, and we've become way too comfortable I'm going to just sit here, and I'm going to get the music, and I'm going to get the sermon, and I'm going to punch the clock, but I'm going to remain perpetually immature. And it's such a waste. It's not just such a waste, it's such a cost. It's such a cost to you and the people around you if we choose to stay comfortably immature. But we don't feel it that much, do we? Like, I don't feel the intensity of remaining immature. I don't feel that that intensely. Because I kind of work with the people around me, and it kind of fits with the people around me. I don't feel it that much. By the way, I'm busy. Don't you know I got important stuff going on? And so we don't feel intensely this immaturity within us. And the author just wants to step out and shake us a little bit. Receive and respond to God because there is maturity available. And he's up to that stuff in your life. Join him. Now, he does go through... Some basic doctrines, which are the basic doctrines of the gospel. Repentance, right? That you are a sinner who is separated from God. Your best works, your most religious works, your most moral works are dead. In fact, Isaiah calls them filthy rags. They don't do anything for you. Repent of them, even if they're wonderful. Because there's faith. Faith. There's a faith in Jesus that is treasuring and that plants new desires within your heart, and that's the only kind that will save you. So repent of your sin, and have this treasuring, desire-shaping, heart-changing faith, and that's the only kind of faith you can count on. Not laying again this foundation, building on this foundation, and then as instructions about washing. The word for washing is baptism. Baptism is the word that means to immerse something in water. And so you are sitting in a Baptist church, we have chosen to be hallmarked to that way because it's a distinctive of our doctrine, that we believe in believers baptism by immersion. Right? That the only people who are eligible for baptism, true baptism, are those who are born-again believers in Jesus Christ, right? And so they are believers. And that baptism, that water symbolizes what has already happened inside of them as their dead self was buried and, with Jesus and then they rose to a new life in Jesus so that they are buried and resurrected and that baptism pictures that for them. So instructions about washings, instructions about uh, laying on of hands. We would It's not a super prevalent thing in the New Testament. Generally people would lay hands on others to bless them and pray for them or they would lay hands on others like Paul and Barnabas to commission them and ordain them to separated ministry of the gospel, to instructions about that. And then resurrection, we'll all face a resurrection one day, the just and the unjust. And in that resurrection, some will hear Jesus say those horrible words, depart from me, I never knew you. And they're like, God, look at all the stuff we did for you. I still didn't know you and you're not mine. And they will experience resurrection in what's called the second death where they will be commissioned to eternal uh, separation from God in this place we call hell, which is a place of torment. But there'll be a resurrection of us as well. And we'll be placed into the eternal glory. We'll be rewarded for the works done in, a, in, in the flesh. We'll, 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 we'll live in this, the, the rewards in the eternal glory of Jesus. And so instructions about that but continually build on these foundational truths. Continually build on the foundational truths of the gospel. Don't just admire the foundation. Don't just admire the foundation. The second part, beware of the cost of perpetual immaturity. Beware of the cost of perpetual immaturity. Uh, I'm gonna start this today and probably finish it next week because we don't have as many verses next week. Um, Most difficult passage in Hebrews by far, probably one of the top five most difficult passages in the new testament there's three views for this and possibly none of them is hundred percent satisfactory but i think we can get close view number one is loss of salvation view that is these are genuine believers who become apostates that is they fully and finally reject jesus now we would reject that view out of hand Right? That, that we believe 100% that the Bible perfectly clearly teaches the perseverance of the saints that genuine believers, not believers, genuine believers will persevere to the end and God will see to it. Right? And so, the book of John, he clutches us in his hands. Nothing can pluck us from his hands, right? Right? Um, so we would have verses like that. We, we would have the whole tenor of the book of Hebrews. It seems to war against this idea you can lose it. Like everything's about Jesus. Jesus is better. He's a better sacrifice. He's a once and for all sacrifice. We're at his house. He's done all the work. It, it just doesn't seem like a book that lets you lose your salvation when it's all about Jesus and what he's done to secure our salvation. Right? And so um, the loss of salvation review just, just doesn't seem to, to hold up for us. Um, I had one other, oh yeah, Romans 8. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of Christ. Not height, not depth, not things present or things to come, not angels or rulers or principalities or power, nothing present and nothing to come. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ which kind of seems like nothing can separate us from the love of Christ and that would include you. right? You're not more powerful than all the forces that would seek to ruin salvation. Right? And so loss of salvation view. Secondly, there is the um, lack of perseverance view. The lack of perseverance view. And this would contrast genuine believers with professing believers who are not true and genuine believers. And so both of them experience the church. Both of them experience the, the the illumination of God. Both of them experience the work of the Spirit in the church and in the body of Christ. Both of them experience the power of the age to come as they see the gospel impact the people around them. Both of them experience the good word of God on a regular basis. And these people live sometimes very long periods of time as part of the church. But they're not really part of the church because they're not genuine believers in Jesus. They're just kind of professing believers. And at some point, they are exposed as that and they leave. Or they're exposed as that and they depart from the faith. And their departure from the faith shows they were never believers at all. And once that's shown in a decisive way, they can't come back from it. That would be the second view of this this passage. It would go to verses like 1 John two nineteen. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Meaning there were people who were faithful in our church. They were part of our church. We would have totally sworn by like, man, they're great. And their decisive leaving of the church was a decisive showing that they had never had Christ in the first place. Or the parable of the sowers. There's people that receive the word and they get all excited about it until life gets hard. There's people that receive the word, they get all excited about it. Until the stuff of life starts choking it out. And then there's people who get the word and receive it and bear fruit with it. Well, only the one that bears fruit, the good soil, or is the gospel soil. And so there's this picture that when you endure to the end, God sees that his true believers will endure to the end. And when people pull out, like is happening in Hebrews, it's just showing that they were never genuine believers to begin with. And that would be the majority view. That would be the Reformation view. Um, that would be the most common view out there. Right? The third view, and again, we're going we're to go back a little more detail next, next week on this would be a loss of rewards view. Meaning this passage isn't speaking about salvation at all. It's speaking about rewards. And it would go back to the Old Testament account that's been the background of Hebrews so far of the wilderness generation and exodus from, from Egypt and, and getting denied access to the promised land, that wilderness generation. And so you see these parallels between, right? They were, they, they were enlightened. Well, there was a pillar of fire at night that gave the Israelites light and it says they tasted of the heavenly gift well Nehemiah looks back and he says uh, let me read it for you in Nehemiah 9 you gave your good spirit to instruct them and you did not withhold your manna from their mouth and so you tasted the heavenly gift that would be peril to like you, you ate the heavens bread called manna all right uh, you're partakers of the spirit well God gave that generation his good spirit uh, he also says, you came down from Mount Sinai, you spoke from heaven, and you gave them right rules and good statutes and commandments. You had the good word of God. And then the, the last one, the powers of the age to come. God in, in Exodus showed his signs and wonders so that the people of the world and it might know that he is God. And so what you have is these parallels between the wilderness generation that had all these benefits from God And yet, they had a decisive moment of unbelief that kept them from the promised land, that kept them from the rest of God. It did not keep them from the covenant of God. They were already his people. It did not keep them from God forgiving them because it says, I will pardon their iniquity. It did not keep them from being part of the covenant people of God. And some of them went on to heaven. It kept them from the reward of God called the promised land. And they missed out on it, and the next generation got it instead. And that would be the background for this group. This is a group who has been saved and enlightened. This is a group who's tasted of heaven. This is a group who's seen God's power and work. And yet there's this moment or this decisive bit of unbelief that says, we're going to stay immature. We're not going to press on. We're going to stay where we are. And at that point, they lose the rewards of a life of following Jesus. Jesus. They lose intimacy with Jesus. They lose progress in Jesus. They lose the blessing of serving Jesus. They lose the impact that their life could have made on the lives of other people. And so their entire life becomes wasted, even though they're believers. And then in eternity, their life will have rewards taken from them as opposed to given to them. So let me read 1 Corinthians 3 so you see this is also in the New Testament. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If anyone is built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he will be saved, even though by fire. And so there is this parallel account in the New Testament that shows just this. The fire of God is going to pass over everyone's life. There are going to be things that were done in Jesus' name for the sake of Jesus, and that's going to remain, and God will choose to reward us. But then there's going to be big chunks of our life, and in the case of these people, their entire life's work was done somewhere in the flesh, somewhere not to the glory of God, and their whole life's work will burn up, and they'll be saved with absolutely nothing to show for it. And what I would say is either view two, a lack of perseverance, or view three, which is the one I'm leaning to after studying this passage, you will lose the rewards and your life will have been Christian and wasted. And there's nothing more tragic. The most precious gift God gave you is the one life you get. And then the second most precious gift is the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, to save you. And can you imagine that one life with that one salvation being completely wasted because you decided to stay in perpetual immaturity. It's too big a cost to you. It's too big a cost to your family that you're going to go home to in your marriage. It's too big a cost to the church to have bottle feeders fill up the church forever because the impact of God on the community and the impact of God on the nations depends on people being part of the gospel plant and part of the gospel discipleship. And when we decide to stay immature with nothing to show for our Christian life and waste it, the cost is too high on every single level. So press on to maturity. Be carried forward to maturity. A couple of practical things as we, as we wrap up. First, how has your spiritual life grown lately? Or has it? How has your spiritual life grown lately? Or has it? Can you give me a non-sanitary, historical fact of the Bible answer to that question? Because there's been times in my life I can't. Right? There's those seasons in my life like, man... Is he up to anything? When was the last time I had a meaningful time with God? When was the last time there was progress in the faith? How has God grown your life lately? And if nothing's there and you can't answer that question other than, you know, some generic platitudes, it's a great time to get with God and wrestle a little bit. Or, you know, have you seen love? Have you seen patience? Have you seen humility? Have you seen investing in others? Have you seen... Sharing the gospel, have you seen caring for people show up? How have you grown lately? By the way, I don't want to get by without this warning. Even if the view is the loss of rewards, there are absolutely people who sit in the church every single week, who hear the word every single week, and will stand before Jesus and be separated from Jesus forever at the end of the age because they had church and they never had Jesus. Jesus. And one of the things that concern, should concern us if we look back and like, hey, there hasn't been much growth lately and we extend the time period and there had not been much growth in the last year, two years, five years since my salvation and I can't point to anything Jesus has done to grow me. It should raise these really big flags within our heart to get our assurance right. And if our assurance is right, then it's that wrestling of progress. How have you grown lately? Secondly, how are you intentionally pursuing maturity? How are you intentionally pursuing maturity? Promise you God is up to maturity in your life. Promise you God is carrying you forward to maturity. What are you doing to respond to that work in his life? Right? Are you getting in the word most days? I mean, it's like, filter. Why do I have to stand up here and beg you to read your Bible? If you have the Spirit of God in you who wrote this book, and it is better than gold and sweeter than honey, you shouldn't need us to put together a plan for you to read the Bible on a regular basis. You should read the Bible because it burns in your heart to read the Bible. Why do I have to beg you to pray in, in me? By the way, why do I have to beg us to pray? Why do I have to beg me to pray? If God saved me and forgave me and gave his son for me, and I don't want anything to do to have a conversation with him, why is that the case? Why do I have to beg you to show up to church, or make church fun enough for you to show up, or or pursue you enough to show up to church more than once or twice a month, or to Sunday school more than once or twice a month, when God has put together a family called the church, and he actually took you pig-eating Gentiles put him into this new thing with the, church, with the Jewish people and he made a church by his blood, why do we have to beg each other to show up to it? Like, how are you pursuing your own maturity? And then lastly, what are some ways your life has helped others grow or others have helped you grow? What are some ways your life has helped, has helped others grow or others have helped you grow? This is not a solo project, right? God's up to stuff in my little fired out building of a life and I can barely tell it sometimes. But God's also building a neighborhood of people. He's laying foundation after foundation by calling people from death to life in the gospel and he wants you to be part of that. And then he's building house after house, life after life by the gospel of Jesus Christ and he wants you to be part of that. How are you joining that work? Who are you helping build the house? Who are you grabbing a saw and some wood? Who are you cutting the angles with? Maturity is the work that we partner with God, and so let's go all in to grow up. Let's go all in to grow up. The foundation is too precious to leave it bare. Life is too precious to leave nothing behind at the end of it. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bow. Not as those condemned, for there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but as those who are forgiven. Forgiven by the blood of the lamb. And so, Father, I pray our hearts would burn to grow. Burn to press on. Burn to build with Jesus the most beautiful gospel house that he could possibly build out of our lives and not waste it. God, would you do that in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to our time of invitation, the Bible says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Test yourself, not if you're a church member, not if you go to church a lot. Test yourself to see if Jesus, if you've never put your faith in Jesus alone to save you, that he lived, he died, and God raised him from the dead. I would invite you to turn and believe. Let's pray together. Fill out the white sheet in your bulletin and let's talk about it. Don't let it pass. Don't let it pass. Don't explain it away. But maybe you're like, okay, I've gotten a little bit stuck lately. Maybe my drift is more towards immaturity and less towards maturity. Maybe I've stalled out. Well, that's an awesome conversation to have with the Lord. He loves to run to us when we simply turn to Him. He loves to do that. Have that conversation with Him where you are. Have that conversation up here. Or maybe the starting point for you is I want to grow. I want to help others build a great house. And what you need right now is to make a commitment that solidifies in your heart. I'm not going to go to lunch and forget. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. How do you need to respond? Let's stand together and sing. You respond how the Lord is leading you.